Hey guys, this is Field of Vapor. Hey folks, this is Pete Bissardo. Hey guys, this is Ruby Roo, and you're listening to Smoke Free Radio. Welcome to another edition of Smoke Free Radio right here on the VP Live Network. How's everybody doing tonight? Uh, I'm in a great mood. I don't know why. Uh, I should be ranting uh, and raving, but it has come to my attention that I've been ranting a lot lately. So I have to take it easy a little bit. I'm getting older. My blood pressure. I haven't been sleeping well. Uh, I'm going to get into a rant about my CPAP mask here in a little bit. But first, let me go ahead and bring on the lovely... The wonderful, the talented, M. What's up, M? Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I yeah. I'm I'm in an unusually good mood today. Um, good. I don't know why, because I haven't slept in three days. <clears throat> I'm gonna tell you why. Do you want to know why? Yes, I want to know why. So, um, if you have followed me for any given time, you know that I have really bad allergies, and uh, you know a lot of sometimes I shoot videos. People think like I'm, you know, like my eyes just about to come out of my head. You know, I have bad sinuses. Uh, I've been just suffering with allergies all my life. So uh, a few years back, I was also diagnosed with sleep apnea. So I went to the doctor and I did the test and I got the um, uh, the pressure uh, for for the machine that puts you know air when I'm sleeping. And um, I went through a variety of masks and I finally got really comfortable with the little pillows that go into your to your nose. You know, they're just two little tiny pillows and you put them in your nose and you go to sleep. They were easy for me because I could, you know, turn on my, on my side. You know, it, you know, it didn't bother me. It was comfortable for me to sleep. So sleep apnea is pretty serious. I don't know if you know this, Em. Did you know that? It's, I mean, you can actually die in your sleep from sleep apnea. So you stop breathing, don't you? you stop breathing, correct. So it's, it's a pretty serious matter. <laughs> so... Um, 
lately, the last five, six months, I have been suffering weekly. I mean, weekly I go through these sneezing and my, my eyes are running, my, my nose is running. So I couldn't pinpoint it. I, you know, would go to the doctor. They would give me antibiotics. I don't want to take antibiotics all the time. Um, you know, your body gets used to them. I take Zyrtec. I take uh, Singular. I take uh, Nasacort. And you, Flonase. You name, <laughs> you name it. Uh, I take it. Um, so what happened is, um, a couple of days I didn't put my mask on and my allergies went away. And I told my wife, I was like, there has to be some kind of a connection here with a CPAP mask. And she started doing some research online. And guess what? What? The nose pillows uh, aggravate your allergies. Really? So all this time, for the past two and a half years, I have been suffering from the same thing that is keeping me alive, <laughs> which is my <laughs> sleep apnea machine. So I had to go I had to go to the to the shop to get the full face mask which you know basically makes me look like a fat um Tom Cruise in in, in Top Gun. So I had to get this full <laughs> this full face mask that goes and and um that allows you to you know pump air through your mouth as well too. But here's the problem. The problem is that I can't sleep with the damn thing cuz it's really really uncomfortable. You know, I can't you turn if I turn uh, you know, I got some nice plump cheeks. So when, <laughs> so when I turn, the the mask moves and then air shoots out, like hits my eyeball right out of the mask. It's so it's so frustrating. So I have to take the mask off. Yeah. And when, when I take the mask off, I don't sleep well because I suffer from sleep apnea. So I don't get a full night's rest, and I'm miserable. I'm just miserable. I want I want to sleep and I want my allergies to be okay. Can we make that happen? I have no idea. Apparently we can't. <laughs> so it's not the pink strap that everybody's talking about, is it? It's not what the pink strap that everybody's talking no, about. No, no, the pink the pink strap was was a mistake. <laughs> you can't make this shit up, by the way. I thought it was like Pibs Hardo, you know, playing a joke on me. I actually ordered yeah. a men's uh, large mask, and they sent me a women's mask with a pink <laughs> strap on it. But it doesn't make any difference. I mean, the mask that I had up front, you know, the pillows and all that were fine. So I didn't have any issues with using that. I don't care sleeping. I don't, nobody sees me when I sleep except my wife. But, but, um, the, the, the mask itself, I was really, really, I got really used to the pillows. I, it didn't bother me. I would put them on and go to sleep. Now I can't put these things on. And people are saying like, use, use pills. I take Lunesta sometimes when, when I'm really, you know, when I haven't slept for a while, I'll take like one Lunesta to pass out. But the problem is that, okay, well, I'll take the Lunesta and I'll fall asleep with a mask. I wake up because the mask is shooting air in my eyeballs. You can't sleep when you have a machine blowing air into your eyeballs. Do they not have the, um, the smaller one, the one that just goes over your nose? Yes, I tried that one as well too. But the problem is that if I don't have that opening of the mouth and it's all going in through my nose, it's, it's, what, it's aggravating the... The allergies. It's I'm it's just a, I'm a lost cause. I'm a lost cause. That's what I figured out. So anyway, I'm gonna go. <laughs> Somebody said I should smoke more herb. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last thing you want me to do, John. That's the last thing you want to do. But uh, anyway, and I have another rant by the way while we're at it. Yeah. Uh, you have kids, right? You know, I've just about had it with my oldest daughter. I mean, can I shoot her? Can I, can I just like pop a cap in her knee or something like that? Because, um. Lately, it's just been this just terror, terror. Like all she worries about is like her friends and Instagram and vines, and that's all she does. Like constantly, all day. That's it. That's all she does. Yeah, my boys are like that with video games. And 
she's 12 for crying out loud i mean she's i mean i know all kids are like that but for me you know i'm 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 really really attached to to her as well too and it's bothering me even more but you know you say you you come home and you open up the door and said hi and there's like not even a response it's like not not even you know acknowledgement that i'm there you know she's like just deep into her her device whatever it is the tablet or the phone or whatever it is and um and and it's pissing me off i want to shoot her can i do that is that allowed you can't shoot her how do you deal with it i mean how do you deal with your how old is your kids um, the twins will be 15 this year, and my youngest just turned, well, yeah, he just turned six. So, I mean, how do you deal with it? I take it away from him. <laughs> okay, and, and I thought about that. I was like, this is this is my new plan, by the way. This plan was given me, to me by a fellow uh, vapor that has kids the same age as mine. Uh, and I had this discussion last night. They said, um, they took away the phone. His daughter had an iPhone. So he took away the phone and he gave her one of these prepaid Go phones from Walmart. But she can't, it doesn't have any media on it. And she can't text on it. It has like pre-programmed five telephone numbers on there, like 911 and her parents and her grandparents. So that's the only five numbers they'll have on it. So he said, here you go. This is your new phone from now on. So I think that's what I'm going to do. That's a solution. Is that a solution? I think so. All right. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to report. Uh, I'm going to report back in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, by the way, on your side of the pond today, I sent you a link. I don't know if you saw it. Um, taxation. Imagine that. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about that before we get into some uh, some scientific uh, uh, data that we have here. And um, you know, we we all know it's about the money, right? I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. Everything everything happens about the money. This is the first time that I've seen EU as a whole, though. You know, as the as the European Commission proposing something like this. Yeah, it's it's the first I've heard of it too. Um, the thing that got me the most was that they're looking at ways to make taxing e-cigarettes on par with tobacco products. And I think, what is it, 57% taxes yeah. on tobacco over here. But e-cigs are already covered under the value-added tax, which is 20%, which is, you know, it's kind of like state tax. So I don't understand why they would want to add more onto it other than the fact that they've obviously, they're losing revenue from tobacco, and they need to make up for it somewhere. There's no doubt about it. But here's what really bothers me about that article that I read. Um, it says that the commission has asked excise duty experts from across the EU to consider the best way. This mm-hmm. is a really, really tricky proposition. The best way to achieve fiscal equal treatment between e-cigarettes, where users inhale nicotine vapor, and normal tobacco products, according to that, the, this document that was seen in the Financial Times. So they're trying to achieve the fiscal equal treatment. How do you determine uh, equal treatment between electronic cigarettes and, and a tobacco product when, they're first of all, they're just completely different products? Yeah, you really can't. Here, the, They tried here in Ohio, by the way. I don't know if you heard it. Uh, they're proposing a, a tax on electronic cigarettes. And what they did is they're, they're brilliant minds. I wonder who proposed this, by the way. I really wanted, wanted to find out. I've been trying to do some Ohio work along with Indiana and Kentucky and the rest of these states that are that are getting screwed. Uh, in Ohio, they're proposing a tax, and they're basing it on 10 meals of e-liquid equal 100 traditional tobacco cigarettes. So a 30-meal bottle would probably end up costing about $47 when it's all said and done based on the tobacco tax that they have now on the cigarettes that are sold in the state of Ohio. 
So it's yeah. For what it's crazy, okay. I mean, I know. Uh, I think all of us can agree that it's crazy. But for the the other thing that I'm trying to figure out is, how did they determine that ten mils of e liquid equal to a hundred traditional tobacco cigarettes? That that so that means that a hundred cigarettes. If you if you divide that by, that's not even you know, point zero one mil per cigarette. No. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It really doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Well, I've never been one of those the believers, you know, 500 puffs equals right, a pack right. of cigarettes. I don't mm-hmm. believe that shit. So where they're, where they're pulling these numbers, the only obvious place is out of their asses. Now, one thing that I have to be, and I, and I'll, you know, I always like to be fair. One thing that I want to be fair about is that we vape way more than what we did when we used traditional tobacco. I think there's no doubt about that. And as devices have, and atomizers have become more efficient and better in delivery method, uh, a lot of us have dropped our nicotine. Um, you know, I'm using six now, sometimes three, when I'm yep. doing these videos and I'm over nicking. But, you know, at six milligrams, I find myself using the device more than when I vape that 18 milligrams, obviously, because my body's controlling it. But I'm actually vaping more liquid now than I did three or four years ago. Yeah, I'm the same. So we have to we have to take that in consideration. It's something that a lot of people don't understand, and uh, and it's funny because you know for for from a from an e liquid manufacturer standpoint or even a vape shop standpoint, having lower nicotine strengths, um, you know, it's more beneficial because people go through e liquid quicker than if they were selling thirty six milligram nicotine or or as as David Dorn vapes or or eighteen milligram nicotine because then the the user wouldn't come buy to pick up e-liquid every two, three weeks to replace a 30 mil bottle. Right. So I think companies coming up with a zero and the threes and the six, I think it was just brilliant because they're just going through more juice and they're selling more, more product out there. Oops, I gave away the secret, I guess. Oh, don't shoot me. But that's the truth. Yeah. So I think we have to see it from no. a fair. Go ahead, Em. Yeah, they're, the thing that it gets me is they're selling the lower nicotine um, e-liquids at the same price that they're selling the higher nicotine stuff. Mm-hmm. And the nicotine basically all costs the same anyway. So why aren't the lower nicks cheaper? They should be cheaper. They Nic- should nicotine be. is the most expensive part of, of making e-liquid. So, yeah, I agree. It's it's a nice little scheme. But people are buying it, so why not? I mean, it's whatever the market uh, dictates. By the way, on that subject of, of lower nick in, in stores, if you walk into a store and they don't sell anything above 6 milligram and they tell you that they have a store for tobacco harm reduction, tell them to go fuck themselves. Because that's the biggest bullshit. I heard... From several vapors that have gone to some stores that they don't sell over six milligrams of nicotine. How in the hell are you promoting tobacco harm reduction? How can you get somebody to quit smoking if you don't offer higher nick than six milligrams? Yeah, a lot of people that I know, especially when they first come off smoking, they need higher nick, the higher nick levels. I wouldn't recommend anybody that's you know smoking forty six a day to start on three or six milligram because they're going to give themselves a, hit- a headache from vaping too much. Absolutely, they're going to dry up from the VG, and most of the juices now are higher VG anyway. Uh, plus, you know, it's all about giving the satisfaction and to to the smoker in order to be able to withstand the withdrawals that they're going to have from tobacco cigarettes because the hit the nicotine hit in tobacco cigarette is immediate, and when we don't get that with vaping. Uh, unless you go into the higher milligram strength uh, nicotine. So uh, stores that don't carry them, just to me, they're not catering to tobacco. I mean, all this that we're trying to help smokers is just, it's just bullshit. Yep, I agree with you on that one. 
Cloudy, cloudy days, as Jim says. They're promoting cloud production. I agree with that, and and I think that's going to be one of our downfalls. I'm going to talk a little bit about that while we're going through these uh, studies today. Three four seven three zero eight eight three two nine. The telephone lines are open if you want to participate with any questions or comments. And of course, at Vaping Greek on Twitter, hashtag competition. Smoke free radio. Uh, you can leave a competition out if you want to. I don't care. Uh, but anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about some studies uh, today. The first study that I want to talk about. Um, this came uh, across uh, my desk a couple of days ago. I tossed it over to M to discuss it. I actually talked about this in China. It was one of the protocols that I suggested. Uh, this came through Wiley Online Library. I don't have an account there. If anybody does, please grab it for me. I would certainly appreciate it. I want to see the details of the study. But this was a really, really important study that I also proposed in China. It was one of the protocols, and I hope that we can do this here in the United States on a grand scale, and not only in the U.S., but across the world. I hope this is done in the U.K. and various EU countries as well. I think it's extremely important to show the importance of the vape shop to increase cessation uh, using electronic cigarettes. Right, Em? Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that because where are you going to find the most vapors at? It's going to be in the shops. Uh, and also, you're going to get in the in the vape shop. You're going to get a different experience than buying an e-cig in a C store and Walmart. Yeah. Uh, this study was was aimed towards the open vapor market. Hooray! Thank you very much. And also to evaluate, you know, how people that actually walk into a vape shop, um, what are the ch- how how drastically do their do their chances increase? Of them quitting smoking because they're going to get the, the, you know, the the information. They're going to get the accurate uh, description of their products, how to use them, how to fill them, how to charge them. Uh, they're going to have that support structure to go back if something goes wrong. They're going to take care of them. Uh, also, give them that support in the long run to stay uh, off uh, cigarettes. So the they they used a survey. They did this survey at 215. Um, vape shop customers at four retail locations. This is a very, very small scale. Um, the, 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 the participants were, were also uh, uh, asked to um, exhale uh, to, you know, to test for carbon monoxide to make sure that they're off, uh, off traditional uh, tobacco cigarettes. So what they found was that most of the customers started using electronic cigarettes as, uh, as a means of smoking cessation, 86%. Using the newer generation devices, which is the open vapor market, 89%. Uh, vaping non-tobacco, non-methyl flavors at 72%. Again, extremely important here, uh, and I will analyze why. And using e-liquid with nicotine strengths of uh, around 20 or less milligrams per milliliter at 72%. There was a high rate of switching, uh, 91.4% to newer generation among those who started with a first-generation product. So if you had picked up a... Um, you know, a blue at the gas station. You're counted in this, or you actually went to the vape shop to find something was uh, that was that was better. Um, the conclusion among the vape shop customers in the U.S. This is, of course, in only four stores. Keep that in mind. Who use uh, electronic nicotine uh, delivery devices to stop smoking, vaping longer using newer generation devices, using t- non-tobacco and, and non-menthol flavored e-liquid appear to be associated with a higher rate of smoking cessation. You know, in in my opinion. I think that if we can do this study, uh, and I don't think this study is going to cost a lot of money. Um, basically, the data collection is probably the only thing that would that would cost money to be able to get the information from the vendors. Uh, the study that I had proposed in China was, you know, we'll have a you know a tablet set up in the shop. A customer will walk in, a smoker walks in, puts in his you know his name and gets a code and his email address. 
gets set up at the vape shop, then he leaves and goes home and starts using the device. And once a week, he can log in on, on a website that he'll be given and answer a few questions and progress that and track that, you know, over a six-month period of time. Um, if we could do this to a thousand shops in the United States, and I'm only using the United States, I hope, you know, maybe you can start the movement over there, Em. Uh, yeah. but, but doing it, you know, in uh, 500 shops in the U.K., it provides us, number one, with the biggest strength that we have. Number one, that people that do use vapor products do quit smoking. Because um, how many times have we seen in, in, in regulations and politicians and scientists saying, well, we don't really know if these devices help people quit smoking. Well, what better way to show it that the vape shop atmosphere in the open vapor market is the one that actually helps people to quit smoking uh, and not the devices that they're you know testing from the C-stores and so forth and so forth. Uh, number one. Number two, what they can do also is it can provide us valuable data based on per capita of the vape stores per city uh, and how many smokers there are. So we can actually get, get data of which, you know, which cities that have, you know, higher smoking you know, rate than other cities and how the vape, sh- the vape product um, helps as well there, depending on what city it is. Uh, I mean, it can provide us tons of valuable information and it can be done in a way where it will be presented to, to a medical journal to, to be evaluated as, as a study. Uh, gathering all the data from you know a thousand vape shops in the United States. Yeah, I think it would be great. You know, I was thinking too, um, bringing it over here to the UK and the EU. Um, when we had the the EFI, the European Free Vaping Initiative, um, we had these little dodo boxes, and it was just a little like a little sheet of paper that people could fill out, and then they just stick it in the little box, and then those would get sent off to people that would enter the information into a website. Um, to be added for the FE, and that's something that we could probably do over here relatively easy. And it really, the only cost that I could think of would be printing the material and postage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think in order to to publish a study, if I'm if I understand correctly, because I talked about this with Dr. Pelosa when he was here for the conference, in order to collect data for a study like that, you actually have to pay a group. That's going to set up a server where the people can set up, you know, their uh, their answers. Then they have to double check to make sure that the uh, this person exists, and it's not just somebody that's you know punching in information. It has to be a valid study in order for it to be peer reviewed and published. And then that st- that data that they collect has to be analyzed and put in the right place, and then you know, in percentages and all that. I think that's the only cost that's involved. And of course, I, I mean, I can't I can't think that any vape shop would not want to participate in this. I mean, if they want to stay in business, I guess, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and I see some comments in, in the chat, people talking about, you know, the cloud blowing, you know, that's, we can't stop that, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, it's a lifestyle, people are using it, they're using it in that way, that's fine, what we want to target is, we want to target the smokers, uh, the smokers that come into the stores, the ones that are making the switch, it might be hard in some areas, I guess, depending on if the stores cater to more advanced users or, or, or new users. But I think overall, we can we can definitely find vape shops that are willing to do that. In fact, I'm thinking about doing it just here in Tennessee through the Tennessee Smoke Free Association and get the vendors that are on board, 40, 50 stores, and let's test that out. Let's test it on a small scale and see what kind of information we can gather and see what kind of results we get and see how the product works. I mean, in, in this case, about 66% is what they're saying is success rate. That's huge. 66 I mean, even if it's 10% that people quit smoking, it's way better than the available NRT methods. <laughs> this is what I'm, the point that I'm trying to get at. So can you imagine if we did it on a scale, a big scale, and we found that, you know, 40, 40% of the people quit smoking with this product. That is that is at least, you know, 
40 times more than what it what the you know the patches and gum give us not 40 but 20 20 times more than what the patches and gum give us. that is a good tool to have against the fda and all the regulatory authorities yeah it's definitely something that we need to back up our our information with and 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 i see another comment in the chat says well people don't they don't care they don't care if it works because you know we could tell them but this is not us telling them yeah and i agree with a comment that if we go ahead and tell them that this helped us quit smoking they don't care. I agree. But this, we're talking about a study, all right? We're talking about something that we can publish, that we can put out there, uh, hire a big, you know, data group here in the United States, one of these Nielsen, whatever they're called. I don't even know what they're called, but one of these data collection agencies to to, to run the, um, uh, all, the, all the data to, so they won't say that we're doing it ourselves. Uh, in order for it to have validity, uh, DJ, because I know you're the one that said the comment, in order for it to have validity, it has to be done right, right? And, and I can't see if we, if we do a presentation like that, if we do a study like that, um, you know, I can't see how it will be rejected. I think it will be taken serious, M. Yeah, I think it would be. Um, Michael Morris just made a comment in there. He says, but you didn't quit. You're still pretending to smoke. It doesn't matter what they say. If it's an actual study and it's presented professionally and through all the right channels, it's evidence. So they can sit there and they can say all they want. Oh, you're pretending to smoke. Well, we've got evidence that we're not smoking. We just, we just want them we just want them to know that yes whatever the pretend smoke is all fine we just want them to know that we we don't use combustible tobacco that is the that is what we're trying to get at and and this is one of the things that we get slammed on uh, in fact um, part of what I'm going to be talking today is I, I need to thank Chris Hughes from the Fat Cat Vapor Shop he tossed me over an article from Chemical and Engineering News where they talk about e-cigs this month and uh, uh, he was able to pull it out for me. Uh, but a lot of the the article talks about that uh, you know one of the biggest things that they that the industry touts is that e-cigarettes are a way to help people quit smoking traditional cigarettes. That's what we we tout, right? But it's just anecdotal evidence. You have to agree that there's no evidence out there to show that this product helps people to move away from combustible tobacco. No, there isn't any. The problem with that is is that there's not been any major studies conducted. Yeah. Find that evidence. And it will be needed. It will be needed, by the way. Uh, I, I want to get into some specifics here of this article and, and bring up uh, some of the studies that, that, that we have. You know, the the FDA regulations right now, what what how the FDA is trying to regulate these products is has been unsuccessful for for many reasons and and one of the biggest reasons that they quote here in the article is because they're evolving so quickly that they don't actually know what to test for i mean can you imagine you know you know how slow the FDA works right so you give them an ego and you say well this is a new generation device and you know for the FDA they'll probably take about you know a year to study this device and how it's used in the real world and all uh, type of e-liquids and how it vaporizes the e-liquid. Well, in a year, you know, there's probably going to be another um, 80, 90 devices that have come out by then, at least, at least, you know, because the way that China is moving, uh, it's, it's, um, it's hard to keep up with all the devices that are coming out there. This is what's making it, I think, even harder for the FDA to regulate the product on a federal level. Yeah. The industry, sorry, the industry is moving really fast compared to to what the FDA is capable of actually looking at the product. It says uh, here that um, the FDA currently regulates only those e-cigarettes and e-juices and other vaping supplies that are make therapeutic claims. Uh, and uh, based on the rule that they proposed uh, last year, would allow the agency to begin regulating the e-cigarettes as tobacco products. 
and and they're trying to finalize that 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 rule later this year based on this article we've heard spring of uh, 2015 that the deeming regs will hit but the problem is that um, if they can't understand the product itself how are they going to set rules there is no standardized market on that point you know, I'm torn. I'm torn. I'm going to tell you why. On one hand, I love the fact that we have 2,000, 3,000 devices, you know, 2,000, 3,000 tanks, 2,000, 3,000 e-liquids. Everybody can find something that works for them to quit smoking. I love it. On the other hand, you got to admit, we don't have a standard within the industry as well, too. Like, what is the standard? Do we have a standard e-cig or a standard way of vaporizing? No, I don't think so. Not in my opinion. And I don't think there should be, to be honest. The only standardization that I'm that I'm interested in is making sure that the e-liquid is safe, that it doesn't have any crap in it that we're not supposed to be inhaling, and that the batteries aren't going to blow up in my face. Those are the only two things I care about. Well, let me tell you, I've seen some pictures the last week. On the, uh, the last week, every day, Keith is in the chat. He will uh, testify to this. I have seen uh, a guy almost blow off his nuts. And his nuts were actually in the picture. It was a little bit disturbing. He was in the hospital. Uh, there are a couple more pictures of people blowing up their legs and stuff like that with these batteries. So, you know, under what the FDA is doing, uh, you know, collecting this data from the Internet, you know, a lot of that's going to be used against us. Oh, of course. You know, good. I mean, we, we, so there's some bad stuff out there, a lot of bad stuff on the Internet. But the standardized test for the FDA to regulate this product is nearly impossible, except, except the SIGA-like market. That is the easiest thing for the FDA to go after to regulate. One battery, one cartridge, pre-filled, two flavors, three nicotine strengths, we're done. Yeah. And that, that's, that's not good. what they're doing over here, too, with the Tobacco Products Directive. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that goes back to my theory that the FDA already has predetermined on how they're going to regulate this product. Um, this was clear in, in this article, Carl Phillips from Casa was quoted, and uh, and I want to bring this up because this this has a lot to do with what I'm saying. Under the FDA's proposal, the higher quality e-cigarette products that are crucial for many smokers to permanently quit will be eliminated from the legal market, says Carl Phillips. Uh, he is the scientific director uh, of the Consumer Advocates for Smoke Free Alternatives Association. The only products that stand any chance of successfully navigating the pre-market tobacco application process will be the cigarette-like products. Um, bringing me back to the theory that I think that the FDA behind closed doors has already made the deal that this is the way that they're going to regulate the product. And they're going to bring up myriad of, of problems with the open vapor market to be able to eliminate them from, the, from, you know, from being sold. Uh, and that will put us in, in a huge disadvantage. That's why I believe that we need some scientific evidence to show that the open vapor market is safe. Uh, the open vapor market is efficient. It is consistent. It actually works for people to, to quit uh, better as a cessation method than than the closed vapor product. Um, I know that there's some people still out there that use cig likes. Don't get me wrong. Now, I don't think within the community, but I think there's people out there in the in the mainstream market that do buy cig like products. Uh, and I don't want to see them gone. I just don't want them to be the the only product that's going to be on the market. I don't want it to be a monopoly. No, I don't want them to be the only product either. I think they have their place, especially for people that are first switching from smoking into e-cigs, because it, it makes for an easy transition. For a lot of people, but it definitely shouldn't be the only product that's available to anybody. Uh, I mean, I saw a question on the main cigarette manufacturers owned by, by tobacco. Yes, they are now, 
that weren't like that. There used to be e-cig companies that only sold um, cigarette-like products, and there still is, like Mystic. And even though they've evolved to a taxi- tank system, it's still a closed cartomizer per se. It's a closed system that you can actually refill uh, or modify in any way, uh, according to them. Uh, but they are, most of the, the, the cigarette-like sales now on the market are owned by Big Tobacco. Those are the ones that are selling the most of them, I guess, uh, with with views taking a huge uh Market lead, according to Bonnie Herzog's uh, analysis that I get in my email every every few days, and what Views is doing is just they're pushing everybody out of the market. They're trying to put their product on the shelves. They're buying out smaller companies, eliminating them, consolidating them, strong arming the C store space in order to put their product on top and so forth and so forth. And you see that transition from other companies too that used to sell cigarette like batteries, like V two, uh, Fuma cigs. Uh, even enjoy make that transition to the open vapor market product to you know in order to compete, but they can't. They can't. They can't in a C store space compete with the open vapor market. There's just no. It's impossible for them. And I think um, just today I had a phone conversation with a gentleman up in uh, in Ohio that does that's in the market, and he's and they're trying to do the same thing. He he wants to transition into you know get into the vape shop space and sell e-liquid like Enjoy is doing. Um, they have to understand that they're good at. Sigalikes, they should stick with that model. Yeah, you know that's 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 where they. I think all of them screwed up. I think everybody saw that people were going to the vape shops and they forgot about the product that got them popular. Uh, and instead of trying to improve that product, they jumped on the board of the vape shop and now they're trying to attract that space, further distribution and for their sales, obviously. Uh, and it's not working. You know. Mm-hmm. The open vapor is not working in the C store. Uh, a lot of the the guys that, that distribute these products are either sending them back or they're liquidating them. Um, they can't they can't compete with a vape shop. That's why I think that the vape shop study uh, is extremely important. Uh, moving on in this article, a few more things that I want to bring up. Um, in this in this article, uh, I hope I'm going to put the link inside the uh, the chat if anybody wants to to pull it. It is the latest um, issue that came out. They actually have a picture of a device. It kind of looks like a, like an IPV uh, because it has you know the fire button, the OLED screen, the adjustment up and down, and on top of it, it's actually a Kanger sub tank. Um, and it's basically explaining you know the third. They're calling them the third generation devices, which uh, um, evolved from slim sigalikes into large box mod devices that have uh, organic light emitting diode displays and buttons to adjust wattage or voltage, which is great because that shows exactly what the people now are using. You know, versus the uh, the, the previous um, uh, devices that were on the market. But what needs to fill in the gaps? And what needs to fill in the gaps is data. This, of course, is based on if we believe that the FDA is really fairly researching on what they're doing, which, again, I have to say that I don't believe it. I just don't believe I think that's predetermined. But let's say in the case that I'm wrong and, um, and the FDA needs to do that research, Right now, they are funding a few dozen research projects administered through the National Institutes of Health. The work includes characterizing e-cigarette devices, e-juices, and e-cigarette aerosols, as well as evaluating who is using e-cigarettes, why and how they're using them, and the potential health risks. Um, If they're pulling out pictures from Cloud Chaser's Facebook Facebook group, (laughs) we're screwed, Em. (laughs) We're screwed because every day I see somebody with a blown-up leg on that. (laughs) In that in that group, you know. Yeah. Uh, moving along, e-cigarettes are evolving so quickly that we actually don't know. This is a this is a, a quote by Mirana Dorjevic. She's the program director of NIH Tobacco Control Research Branch. 
E-cigarettes are evolving so quickly that we actually don't know what people are smoking. Let me let me read that back. E-cigarettes are evolving so quickly that we actually don't know what people are smoking. Now, if you have the director of this this research brand that the FDA has hired, right, to do research on electronic cigarettes, um, and, and they're spending millions of dollars, and her comment on e-cigarettes are uh, is that we don't know what they're smoking. Uh, uh, the research is going to be flawed. <laughs> already, already, we're already done. It's, it's a predetermined outcome that whatever research this chick is going to do uh, is is really going to hurt our cause. Em. Yeah. I mean, if they can't define the product and how people are using it, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we're done. We also don't know how people are using them. She notes such information is needed before we can even think about potential health health effects. She says, I think before you think about the health effects to be sure that you word your sentences correctly because nobody is smoking right yeah. we're, we're we're vaping there's a reason why the word is in the dictionary now it, it should be i mean for crying out loud somebody link her to the wikipedia um <laughs> not the wiki the e-cigarette wiki is horrible oh, Don't is read that isn't there a vape isn't there a vape um what on the the electronic cigarette on the wikipedia yeah oh god don't even get me started on that. I'll have to bring on Fergus Mason to talk about the Wikipedia. Let's make that happen. Let's yes. let's let's make that happen. Let's put him on the on the agenda. Um. So, again, continuing. I'm, I'm, this article is great, by the way. I want you guys to download it because it is pretty fair. All right. I think it's a, I think it's a it's a, it's a good representation of of the status that we're in there. Um. It talks about the the few studies that have been showing toxic carbonyl compounds such as formaldehyde and acrolein in e-cigarettes. Um. Such compounds are formed when propylene glycol and glycerin components of e-juice are heated in an e-cigarette. Uh, and here's where the article gets fair. But for studies, um, excuse me, uh, I lost my train of thought. But for studies to be meaningful, they have to test devices the way people are really using them. Says uh, this is Risa Robinson. She's a mechanical engineer professor at uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, uh, and that the aspect of these texts has been questioned. Of course, it has been questioned because the studies were flawed. Uh, studies that have reported high levels of carbonyls and other carcinogens in e-cigarette aerosols have been widely criticized by vaping industry for using unrealistic conditions, including higher voltages than are typically used in real-world e-cigarette devices. The higher the voltage, the higher the concentration of toxic chemicals in the aerosol. Tanks and mods do have increasingly powerful batteries, but the user can control the voltage on these devices. Something that we've all been saying, right? We know this in a real-time world. But she we need. Seems like she's been paying attention to what people have been saying about how we use these. Yes, and and, and you know she's from Rochester Institute of Technology, which by the way, uh, Phil Bussard went to. Really? Yeah, isn't that isn't that uh, a nice coincidence? So yeah, maybe Risa maybe Risa knows Phil, but um, she's right. You we, if you don't understand the devices and how it's used in real time use, how in the hell? Is the FDA paying all these, these millions of dollars for these studies uh, and producing studies that are actually, you know, more harmful to the public health? It, it's one thing to produce a study, but don't make it public. The, the FDA should take these studies since they're paying for them and evaluate them themselves and make sure and double check them, make sure that these studies are done right. And the and the studies were not done right. So if 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 you're going to turn over a study to somebody that's probably going to take this and put it on a smoking machine and use it wrong, because obviously the chick that I quoted earlier. Uh, thinks that it's smoking, so obviously they're using smoking devices, uh, and they're going to sit there and start pulling on it like a cigarette and, and burning the hell out of it. How in the hell do we plan to win this fight? 
I have no idea. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well thanks, Sam. Thanks for the guidance. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> things like that, though, I, I would suggest probably somebody that's knowledgeable and is capable, more capable than I am anyways, should get in touch with her and try to talk to her about this because if she's still calling it smoking and, and she doesn't have a clue as to what the hell we're doing, somebody needs to educate her or at least get her on board to talk to you know to somebody that can tell her this is how we use it this is what we do now you know in in this article this uh, this Risa Robinson continues to say to get a better handle on how people actually use e-cigarettes um Robinson, she's doing a part of this test at, at the Rochester uh, Institute of Technology. Uh, they're, they're sending users home with personal monitoring devices that track every puff they take as well as the flow rate and intensity of each puff. The team is hoping to use the data to program their smoking machines to better mimic vaping behavior. Um, I like that approach. I like it. However, what two vapors vape the same? You know, but airflow, airflow and, and vaping is key. I keep saying this. In every study, that airflow is key. Um, there's so many variables from the way that you're going to position your coil, whether it's going to be single or dual, what type of wire you're going to use, what kind of wicking material you're going to use, how your airflow hits the coil. You like it stiffer? <laughs> you like it stiffer, Em? I like it stiff. <laughs> I like it stiff, too. Uh, I mean, a stiff draw. Um, you like it airier? You want it somewhere in between? You want it wide open? How are they going to be able to determine all these variables, which are uh, there are a lot? I just said a few here, okay? There's, there's tons. Um how are they going to determine by sending these people with monitors? What are they using? They're probably using an eagle style device or eagle, you know, a tank, you know, a commercially available tank that's on the market. Right. So even though their their approach is a little bit better, I think it's going to actually confuse them even more uh, as we're progressing into into further studies. Um, the huge variety of different types of e-cigarette devices, however, is making it difficult for researchers such as Robinson to access the health risks of e-cigarettes. Uh, we're looking at every device that we can get our hands on, she said, but they are being put on the market faster than we can test them. Now, I have to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that one more time. They are, be, they are being put on the market faster than we can test them. This is something that Phil Bussardo brought up in China. He's, he told the Chinese manufacturers, slow the fuck down. Slow down. You know, I mean, it's a huge market. It's a booming market. But you can't be releasing, uh, you know, a tank every week. Because uh, this is one of the problems that we're causing here, okay? I mean, the innovation is great. Everybody's chasing the dragon. We want to have the newest and the greatest vape that's out there. Uh, but... Slow down. The, the, the researchers can't even keep up. I mean, imagine how we are, but the research can't even keep up with the devices that are coming out. How are we going to be able to get a standardized test? To me, it's nearly impossible. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it should be removed from the from the equation anyway. I think that the devices should be removed from the equation anyway. There's not, there's no way they're going to be able to standardize it. Mm-hmm. I think what they should look is the, the raw materials. Yeah. Right? You know, I I think if they can look in, and again, this is another study that I proposed. I'm talking about raw materials. We're talking about tanks. We're talking about the type of uh, metals that are being used. We're talking about the type of wire that's being used in coils, what type of wicking material. Um, So I see people are saying, (laughs) don't don't slow him down because it's going to confuse the FDA. Yeah, I I, I get it. I know you want to get your, you know, I know you want to get your fix, but keep this in mind. That the more that you confuse the FDA, the more chances you have of them saying, hey, listen, there is no way to regulate this product. You know, we're going to 
you know, ban it. Or, you know, we're, we're not going to have it on the market because there's just way too many. I got a phone call. Let me go ahead and pick up. 443, four, you're on the air with Smoke Free Radio. Hey, Dimitri. Hey. Hello, Em. Uh, you know, question for you. Yeah. Your thoughts on what we can do to improve the image and the perception that the industry has so far projected to the politicians, the legislators, and the the naysayers that are really trying to kill this yeah. this um, this innovative device. Okay, I, I'm a former smoker, 35 okay. plus years. Walked into a vape shop, tried an Evod, never looked back. Fantastic. So that was the first question. Second question has to do with unity, how we can bring in. I've heard you talk about advocacy now for, for the last couple of months. I've been listening, uh-huh. and we're really still stumped. We're still yeah. fragmented, and I'm curious about your thoughts on uniting behind some of the key players that we have, those being uh, Safata, if that's how you want to pronounce it, mm-hmm. the smoke-free alternative. You can, sure. Casa, who does some great work, mm-hmm. American Vaping, et cetera, American Vaping Association. Um, yeah, sure. So those... Those type of organizations, because I think we need a, uni- a unified front. Uh, I'm, I'm going to answer your, your question in two parts. I think that the industry, even though it's large, it's not large enough to be united under a federal umbrella. I think it's impossible right now. It's too fragmented. The money is very sparse. Uh, it's spread out very, very thin. And it's impossible to take this industry right now and put it under one federal guidance. It's impossible. Um, I think what I, needs I mean, to commercial one. Yeah, even commercial. I mean, you think we're big? You know, I mean, you know, the open vapor market is about a three billion dollar market. You think we're big? Um, well, our, our, RGR had eighty eighty billion dollars worth of sales. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not that big at all. Uh, so, in order to organize in that in that in the in, in the scope that you're presenting it, who we're going to get behind? It's very very hard to get behind one organization because I don't think that there's one organization big enough to be able to to fight for us. But what we can do is organize on a state level. I think that's where we're lacking horribly. And I've proven to this. I prove it, pro, uh, when we talked about the Indiana case, uh, I'm going to talk about the Kentucky case a little bit later on when I talk about the Tennessee Smoke Free Association, what we did this past week. I think what's vital right now, I think people in various states that are willing to volunteer their time and stand up for advocacy need to get their state vendors organized first. Get a lobby representation, get a legal team on their side, and start attacking the state laws that are coming down on states. If every state does that, my friend, then these state representations, these state associations can easily come together. It's easier to get 52 people in one room than trying to get a 1,000 vendors from across the United States in one room. It's nearly impossible. You have to have, like every other industry, you have to have one voice that's going to speak for you on a state level, and then that voice can join the other states to create one bigger voice on a federal level. We're trying to go from point A to point Z uh, without going all the steps in between. It's impossible right now. I truly believe it. The law in the United States is made by lobbying. That's how law is made, and we have to do it on a state level first before we even attempt to tackle the FDA. So that's my solution. Can you do it in your state? Are you willing to stand up in your state to do it? You're a 35-year smoker. You are the perfect person for this. <laughs> you are the perfect person to represent me. You can stand up and say, I smoked for 35 years, and this product saved my life, and that's why I'm doing it in this state. I want to get the vendors organized. And if the vendors tell you they're not supporting you, tell them to go fuck themselves. Find the ones that want to do it. Find the ones that want to support you, and those are the ones that you're going to have to have their backing to do it in your state. That's how it's done. 
Yeah, touching on that, that um, Joe Barnett said something in the Vaping Militia group on Facebook today, and I think it ties in perfectly for this. He says, in order for advocacy to work, you and you alone are the responsible catalyst for action. If you don't act, you can never expect anyone else to. True. True. People have to yeah. stand up. You know, I know it's hard. Advocacy is hard. There's a lot of volunteer time. There's not a lot of reward. Uh, but that's what has to be done right now. Unfortunately, that's the only way that we can win. But congratulations on quitting smoking. To me, that's that made my night to hear somebody that smoked for 35 years and I was vaping. Always makes my night. Oh yeah, no, this is this was a godsend, and and I still walk into the vape shop that I that I originally walked into, and I thank those two guys for helping me, you know, helping yeah. save my life. I mean, yeah. really, true story. Within two weeks, I went back several times and I bought additional juice and things like that, and changed my nicotine uh, mix. I literally, Dimitri, am after 35 years of trying every method available to me, had found something finally that I could break this this habit that I and I laughed with him. I said, "You never had a 55 year old man in this shop get teary eyed, have you?" <laughs> I literally, I literally, I I almost broke down completely. It was such yeah. a relief, and anybody who's who smoked like that up to two packs a day for, for a long period of time, that was an emotional moment. I mean, this is a godsend. And so it hurts me to see the government trying to kill what I, I still believe yeah. is an innovative technology that has the chance, if we give it the chance, to end cigarette smoking as we know it in my lifetime. Absolutely. So that was something that I never would have thought that I would have seen you know, back in, uh, back in spring of 2014. So, yeah. um, you know, here in the state of Maryland, we just had a, a hearing and, uh, Maryland likes to be a little California. They think that they're a California here, mm -hmm. but we have a new governor. There's some things changing, but I understand that, uh, the, the folks that were there for the hearing, that it went very well. I was not able to make it because yeah. I was traveling, yeah. but I am getting involved in the advocacy yeah. end of it. I want to see us be successful. Yeah. So well, that's why I, I wanted your thoughts on that's how that's how we do it, tonight. state by state. State by state, I think, is the, this is the right move right now. Uh, and we have some time before we get to the yeah. federal. The FDA is having a very hard time. <laughs> so we got a couple years there to to deal with the FDA. Plus, I don't think that me and you, uh, as much as, as we scream, can actually deal with the FDA. It's going to take the big wigs and some big attorneys to go after them and sue them. So what we need now is protect our states because the states are more vital it's actually talked about in this article where they say that the states now, they're not going to wait for the FDA since they're taking so long and they're losing so much money. The states are going to go after it. And RJR is behind it. There's, make no doubt about it. All the legislation that's dropping now is coming from RJR. So congratulations. Keep up the good fight. Try to get your vendors organized there in association and get a lobbying representation. That is extremely important. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks, brother. Have a great night. By the way, I saw Jake said that he's been smoking for... Uh, for longer than 35 years. Jake actually used to pick tobacco. That's how old he is <laughs> before cigarettes were. <laughs> Poor Jake. <laughs> 859, you're on the air with Smoke Free Radio. Yeah, Dimitri, it's uh, John from Kentucky. I called you a few weeks ago. It's hey, John. a pleasure to talk to you. Nice uh, to talk you to were, you. Yeah, uh, you were talking a, a few minutes ago uh, how uh, Ed uh, Pizzardo went to China and just told him to kind of, you know, slow down. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, uh, there's so many products just keep, you know, flooding the Internet. 
And I don't know if, you know, if you're in the FDA, what, what do you even regulate right now? I guess what Good I'm question. trying to allude to is, you know, at the, at the turn of the uh, 19th century, people like uh, John Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie, those men had more power than the government does. Yeah. The Internet, it literally may have more power than the FDA does. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Amazon and so much of what's going across the Internet now. That's such a great point. I don't see how the government can do this, can stop vaping now. The, the Internet has more power than the government does, you, unless they were to shut it down totally. And they can't do that. There's too much going on. You have a great point. What do you think? You have a great point. I think that that's a fantastic point that you brought up. But here's the problem that we have, John. The problem that we have is that before the vape shop came around, vaping was not that popular. In fact, when I used to order my supplies from the Internet because there were no vape shops around, I probably knew every vapor in the United States. That's how small, close the community was. We didn't walk outside and see somebody using an ego. Never. I thought I was the only person in Chattanooga that vaped, me and my wife. Yeah, so, I was in Billings, Montana, and I bought mine from a uh, from a, a smoke shop there, and it was just a little cigalike right. in 2010. So, yes, the Internet, we have the Internet now, but the product works because of the vape shop explosion in the United States in the last couple of years. So if they're able to control the vape shop atmosphere, yes, me and you, John, we're never going to quit vaping. You know, we're always going to have that accessibility, but... The problem is that we're not going to be able to help future generations of smokers that potentially will die from tobacco-related illnesses unless we have that support structure from the vape shop market that is out there right now. Uh, if you're in the business or if you're even a vapor, if you're not in the business and you're a vapor, you know how important that vape shop is, at least for the initial five, six months. I'm not saying that everybody that goes to a vape shop dedicates themselves to it. Some of them become hobbyists, then they get on the Internet, yeah. they find Fastec, and that's it. Okay? Well, you know, but to, for the product to work... It got initiated through that vape shop experience. So they can control that. And then the second thing they can control is nicotine. If they control those two things, I don't care what we have online, um, we're done. Without nicotine, this product is, is useless. So those two things that they, they, they yeah, can control. Right. They, I, I firmly think they will go after because if they can just narrow something down to just one thing, <laughs> right, like right. with nicotine, mm -hmm. that makes their, their job a heck of a lot easier. So they probably will do that. Uh, I do think vaping is here to stay. Uh, yes, yeah. I am in the business. I run a small market yeah. stall. And, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of customers. I get a lot of older people, especially people that just, you know, want you to show them how to do something. Right. <laughs> you know, right. they, they don't want to work on anything more like an RDA. They just want to eat right. and right. Oh, I load this and they drive away. Thank you. Right. So, uh, but you know, your, your customers, John. Like I said. John, let me tell you something, though. Your customers, if, if they go home and, you know, they don't screw the coil down to the Evo good and it doesn't fire and it leaks, they're going to come back to your store and you're going to say, oh, let me show you. Let me show you what's wrong here. I'm going to take it. I'm going to clean it. I'm going to fix it for you. And this is what's wrong. And the person will not go back to smoking. If they go online to order that product or if they go into a C store to order their product and they go back to the convenience store where the 18-year-old guy is working behind that, you know, hasn't gotten laid and is, 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 is you know, pissed off at the world, he's going to tell them, you know, kiss my ass that's the difference between the vape shop experience in my opinion the vape shop is the most revolutionary thing after e-cigs the vape shop experience and the open vapor market experience and people like you that can sit down and help that older gentleman that you said if we don't have that personal touch and that assistance and that support vaping is dead yep you've got that's a very very good point dimitri um you know the, the vape shop 
and, and a lot of experienced vapors still come in the vape shops. Yeah. They just want to look at something new, try sure. something new. They'll buy a few sure. items here and there. They won't sure, do the sure. bulk of their shopping with you, but they still, you know, they still come around. So, yep. yeah, I, I see your point totally. The vape shop needs to be here. And unfortunately, it is the easiest target for the yeah. states to go after. So anyway, you did say a minute ago that you're going to talk about some stuff that's going on in Kentucky. I yeah. haven't even kept up with it this past week, so I'm eager to hear that and let me get off here. And, you uh, got it. Great talking to you. Thanks, again. John. Okay. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Uh, one thing that I want to uh, – uh, one thing before I get back to the, to, to the study, uh, and I want to talk about this, is because people say, you know, okay, well, even if that's gone, if that's gone, we're going to have this, we're going to have that. How about this? How about one industry in the last 50 years that finally is flourishing here in the United States uh, against all the big corporate bullshit that's being shoved down our throats, right? We, big corporations have taken over this world, taken over this country, you know, from the Walmarts and, and the Exxons and all these big corporations that are buying everything and the RJRs. Here we have an industry that's bringing back the American dream to this freaking country. Right, you have all these moms and pop shops that are opening up. People that used to work for eight dollars an hour now are making a living, and not only they're making a living for themselves and their family, they're employing eight, ten, twenty, thirty, fifty people in their businesses. How about that? How about we think about that for a little bit, okay? Let's not be selfish and say, okay, well, if the vape shop goes away, that's all right. I'm gonna order myself, from, you know, from Fastec or whatever. I got the internet. That is, I'm, we're killing an, enti- an entire rebirth of the American dream in this country. And not only here, everywhere. And welfare, and they're going to end up on, you know, unemployment because the government's going to end up putting them, their their business out. It's going to be ridiculous. It's the same thing over here in in the UK. I think it was in that in that um, the EU taxation thing. Um, the tobacco analyst she even acknowledged that you know strict regulations and taxes is going to put a lot of the smaller companies out of business in the EU. They know it's going to happen. They know they're going to do it to us. If they tax them and they overregulate them, it's it's unfortunate. I hate to see it. I don't like to see it because I'm a small business owner myself, and uh, and I know how I'd feel if this was happening to me. And uh, and they really need to fight for their right. They really have to stand up for their for their industry. All right. The economy is right now. Well, yeah, the economy. And you know, listen. I'll be honest with you. I think the economy here in the United States, the last you know year year and a half, has made a good recovery. I think yeah. things are good. Um, gas is low. Uh, Joe Biden, our vice president, is getting laid. You know, I mean, look, that's just that's an inside joke with that picture that was shown today, but which was really silly. But anyway, uh, I think the economy is doing well, especially in my area where I live. I mean, real estate strong. There's there's jobs. You know, I, you know, it's not the worst it's been. Okay, um, but a lot of that has to do with the vapor market and the other industries that we feed as well. Uh, we're taking over all this retail space that was shut down, empty boxes, employing people. Um, feeding other industries from display cabinet makers to bottle suppliers to paper towel suppliers to canthal wire suppliers i mean just think about all these these industries that were that were helping yeah. right so i mean the, the, the why why attack something that would put you know thousands of people on the street uh, as far as the people that are actually in the industry and also it's going to deter a lot of the the economy that we're moving from that other side it's something that a lot of people don't talk about and and in fact I'm 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 pretty sick to my stomach that we don't reach out to those other industries to get them on our side to to reach out to the bottle suppliers and say I'm sure they have Pamela Gorman put a great link uh, uh last week where she said the boy scouts of America have a lobbyist do you believe that Em? I was shocked I read that I read that and I was like are you serious the boy scouts 
the the Boy Scouts of America have a lobbyist. They pay him two hundred thousand dollars a year, and and. Why? <laughs> I was like, why do they need a lobbyist? Well, guess what? That's how things get done here, right? So that's what we need in our industry as well. We need to get lobbying representation on a state to state to state. And, uh, and you know, who knows? Hey, listen, Lori Lard's getting bought out now by RJR. There'll be a lot of lobbyists there out in the street looking for work. Maybe we can get some of these tobacco guys on our side. You know, I know it sounds like a bad proposition, but, hey, they know the business. <laughs> what, better, what better people to help us? Uh, anyway. So um, back to the, back to this uh, this study. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. All right. So I'm, I'm dissecting this article a little bit more. Um, they're talking about Hetz, which is another company that's doing some of these these uh, these research for them. Uh, they're evaluating the potential health ef- uh, effects of e-cigarettes by looking uh, for biomarkers of exposure. This is something again, another protocol that I had presented in China. Biomarkers of exposure. That's the easiest way. It's through the urine of e-cigarette users. That's the easiest way to determine. Um, to see the metabolites of, of carcinogens like nitrosamines and, and uh, uh, hydrocarbons, benzene, acrolein, stuff like that that you can determine in the urine of e-cigarette users. Biomarkers are expensive. It's an expensive proposition to do, but I think that it's something that's extremely valuable for our community. I think that's something that's, that would, would definitely help our cause and, and compare it always to traditional t- tobacco smoke. So getting back to the study, um, I can't publicly release this because it has been submitted for uh, for um, uh, for peer review. But what Doctor F said, uh, did he actually backtracked on his temperature study? Uh, you know, there's it's not one study; it's going to be five or six studies done with that funding that we did for the temperature study. But instead of releasing the first parts that he wanted to do, he because of the formaldehyde story, he wanted to release the dry puff phenomenon, right? Uh, and, and we've talked about the dry puff phenomenon here on the show many of times. And what the uh, what this proposed, what this study did, which is finished, it's actually been submitted for evaluation. And, and he was pretty smart because he, he submitted it to the same journal that released the formaldehyde story. Right? <laughs> so here we go. We know which, which journal is that, that, that released the formaldehyde study. Now we're giving you a study that not only debunks it, but shows you exactly that how those scientists use the devices incorrectly to get the bad um, results that were publicly made. And, and they even backtrack. But nobody's talking about the backtracking that the scientists did. Everybody's talking about the formaldehyde. And it's quoted. It's even quoted in this study here. All right. So based on the study here, uh, um, uh, M. The researchers concluded that exposure of e-cigarette users to aldehydes may approximate or even exceed exposure from smoking. However, uh, this is the one that, uh, that was released, the formaldehyde study. However, a recent study found lower intake of aldehydes in vapors compared to smokers. Overheating the e-cigarette e-liquid during uh, regular use by vapors is known to generate what's called the dry puff phenomenon that is characterized by a strong unpleasant taste which vapors can detect and avoid. Who here in this chat or listening to the replay continues to vape when they get a dry hit? Not me. I gag. (laughs) It's because you like it stiff. That's why. Um, (laughs) Since there is no method of detecting dry puffs other than the taste, it is possible that some of the findings from the laboratory studies do not translate into risk of e-cigarette use by humans. And this is exactly right. There is no machine to be able to detect and tell the researchers, hey, slow down, because at the level of power that you're hitting this atomizer, you are getting a dry hit, and that does not represent real-time use. Uh, 
So to evaluate this notion, uh, what Dr. F did, he used a customi- uh, two customizable atomizers, a K-Fun Light Plus uh, and a Semtech. Uh, this is from Germany. Different setups. Uh, the first atomizer could be used without generating dry puff conditions at high power levels. Double wick setup resulting in high liquid supply rate to the wick and resistance head, which prevents liquid overheating and generation of the dry puff test. While the second one was the the second atomizer would develop the dry puff phenomenon at higher power levels. So he actually wicked it less, resembling the setup of the atomizer that was used in the previous study, which was the top coil that uh, that the formaldehyde study was used. They used a variable wattage device uh, and an e-liquid, uh, which showed the highest levels of aldehyde emissions uh, in the previous study. For what they used before, composed 45% of VG, 45% of PG, 8% water, and 2% uh, nicotine. Now, in this study, they actually recruited vapors. Seven vapors were used, uh, and they were asked to take four second puffs with a 30-second uh, interpuff interval at 6.5, 7.5, 9, and 10-watt power levels. All users identified the dry puff conditions at 9 and 10 watts with the second setup of the atomizer. Uh, the setup was attached to a smoke machine to generate aerosol using the same puffing patterns and power levels, and that aerosol was collected um, and then analyzed to give us the, the, the results. And what's interesting, I don't know if you saw the, um, the, uh, the, the study. Obviously, the results of the study shows that e-cigarettes can generate high aldehyde levels uh, in the laboratory, but when used in real time by vapors, will not be exposed to them because in normal use of vaping, the user can identify the dry puff phenomenon. Yeah, that was great. Let me get into some numbers here for you. All right, so at 6.5 watts, uh, w- uh, another thing that I found interesting with this, with this study was that at low wattage levels, even though uh, a user got a dry hit, uh, the uh, formaldehyde levels were very, very low. Yeah, they were. So even if somebody was using it and got a dry puff, uh, you know, because the coil does not have enough power to generate to burn that wick to give you that formaldehyde, even though they, the user themselves identified that it was a dry hit and that's simply because the coil was not wet right right? the levels of formaldehyde were low how low okay how low in a tobacco cigarette uh you get uh, about 74 uh, milligrams of formaldehyde in 10 puffs and in 10 puffs of a cigarette you get 74 uh, milligrams per per um formaldehyde in at six and a half watts right while the wick was wet uh, the formaldehyde was six and a half uh, milligrams. So that's one tenth, one tenth, which is way below the, the the threshold anyway for somebody to inhale. It's basically what you, you know, when you're talking or whatever, you know, the the, the naturally occurring formaldehyde. Uh, in um, in at seven and a half watts, six point one. At uh, nine watts, nine point five. And at ten watts, eleven point three. Way, way, way below. Uh, again, under one-tenth of what you're going to find in a traditional tobacco cigarette. Um, but here's the kicker. At the atomizer second, which was set up basically like the to, to replicate the same atomizer that was used in the previous study, uh, 119 milligrams per puff. That's way above a tobacco cigarette. And that's why that the study said that E6 contained toxins that might be more than a traditional tobacco cigarette. Well, here you go. That's why. Because the, the wick... It was dry, and the the heat that applied to it burned the wick, and that's what they were actually measuring. They were not measuring it as a real-time use. 
Uh, in fact, at 10 watts, it even doubled. It went up to 344 milligrams per 10 puffs of formaldehyde on a dry wick uh, hitting it at 10 watts. So, once again, this study has been submitted for publication, and we can't really put it out there, but I wanted to keep people informed of the work that Dr. F is doing and how we're trying to combat the bad, shitty science that's coming out there uh, against us. There's, it's, it's nearly impossible, to be honest with you, to be able to combat every study that's out there, M. But I guess we're going to have to start somewhere. We have to try. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. And, and this, I, God, I was just so happy to read this. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I, I was very, very happy too because I've been waiting for it. But, you know, people got to understand that. Um, people got to understand that in order for a study to be valid, you have to have patience. You know, and I know vapors want shit now. We want it now. I ordered my shit now. I want it now. But it doesn't happen like that in real time. You know, it's, you have to take your time in order to do it right. You have to submit it. It has to be peer-reviewed. It has to be published. It has to be accepted, and then it has to be pu- published. So that's just the way that the process is, whether you like it or not. That's the only thing that's going to give us validity. If we just start tossing this stuff out there and say, hey, look here, I told you so. Yeah, that's great. Me, I, I, don't, I don't need this study. You don't need this study, M. You know this stuff already. I know it. Because there's not a vapor that's going to tell you, oh, I enjoy my formaldehyde. I enjoy vaping my dry wick. Nobody's going to tell you that. But if they're not not going to use actual data in real-time use of vapors actually identifying, in this study the vapor said, okay, at this level I'm getting a dry hit. So at that moment, that's when they measured the vapor and they they found the formaldehyde inside. They did not do that in the study that was published in in the New England uh, Journal of Medicine. So that's what killed us in the media, okay? Now we have the study. Let's say it doesn't get accepted. The other thing that the community has to do is take these studies that Dr. F is doing and spend some money to a PR firm like the AVA or another PR firm. You don't want to use the AVA because you have a beef with Greg Conley or whatever. I don't care. Go hire your own PR firm. Here's a study. Make that shit public. Make Put this in the Associated Press. Put it out there in 800 websites like the previous one was. Why aren't we doing that? I don't, I don't know. That's something that I... I brought up when that when the formaldehyde story came out. I was on Twitter when it when it broke, mm-hmm. and I watched. I, I even wrote a blog about it. I watched hundreds of accounts in alphabetical order, retweeting the same shit over yeah. and over again. They've obviously hired a group of people or somebody to man fake accounts on sure. Twitter, Facebook, to get this information pushed out there as fast as they can. I mean, in thirty seconds, there was two hundred tweets. Right. You know. Is is this study going to get the same the same recognition? The what, same? It, that's, it's not. That's what I'm saying. FDA in the chat said you have to pay for the news, Demetrius. That's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying for the industry to pay for it. That's not. I'm not telling you not to pay for it. Okay. We. I know how the system works, right? Uh, what yeah. I'm saying is, pay for it. You, uh, you really want to combat this? This is how they're d- the dirty the dirty crap that we're dealing with. This is how it happens. They pay for these studies to get out there. Who paid for them? Obviously, these these ambulance chaser attorneys that were behind it. Okay, but what are we doing? We have to use the same tactics. Nobody's going to sit there and listen to you on Twitter or on Facebook when you're posting the results of these studies. You know what's going to listen? If you pay somebody, as you said, to get out there and put these studies out there in, in a PR setting where we can get, get the publicity. And I saw test when is the temperature release. There's not one study that's being released with a temperature study. There's actually five or six. It's a series of studies. This one kind of went ahead of the line 
simply because the formaldehyde story broke and uh, Dr. F felt that this was extremely important to get out there now while it's still hot in order to combat that. And the rest of them will come out. You'll see five or six studies coming out uh, periodically as he's submitting them for publication. And that's that's the way it should be. Right, M? I mean, we have to submit these the proper way. We just can't... We just can't do it willy-nilly. <laughs> we can't just tweet them or whatever, put them on a blog or whatever, you know. Uh, when, when when do you think this one's going to be published? Um, I'm hoping two weeks, okay. maybe, maybe sooner than that. Uh, it was submitted a couple of days ago, and um, you know, I, I hope. I, I mean, especially for this journal because they're the ones that put out that that crappy study. I hope they really take a look at this and move it ahead of the queue because it's not the only study they get. They get tons of studies that come in. Or are they going to see it and go, "Oh shit," and drag their feet? It, it could be. It could be. That's something that we have to deal with. I mean, it, you know, if they don't publish it, we'll take it to another journal. I mean, it's not. It's, it will be published, but hopefully, they will be the ones that publish. It. I think. That, I think that's the that's the least thing that it can do. We deserve it after what the the backlash that we took from the formaldehyde study. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I I, I like the way that it was done. I like the fact that it, they use real time users. I like the fact that they use second and third generation devices. Uh, they used a, a, a variable wattage device. They used a you know rebuildable atomizer. They used a standard atomizer, uh, which was like the one that was used in the original study. Uh, yeah. it, everything was done correctly. And if anything else, here you go. Here's a protocol. Here's something that they did. Even if the opposition does studies from now on, here's how you do it. We're showing you the way to correctly test yourself. Uh, Miss Robinson here, or who was it? The the, the chick that said earlier in, in that article, uh, Mirana Dorjevitz. Um, talking about smoking, here you go. Here's a protocol. You want to test the products? Go ahead. But do it based on real-time use. Be fair and give us the accurate results. At least, at least the millions of smokers that are dying, at least they deserve that. Yes, they do. They deserve that, for crying out loud. If, if, put everything aside and think of the public health. Here you go. Here's a way to do one of the studies if you want to eliminate and get it out of the way. Bill Frill said in chat, how do we uh, how do we start a campaign to get the funds to hire a lobbyist? Get your vendors organized. I'm, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to talk about the TSFA here in a little bit. What we've done, and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to do what I did. I'm just going to tell you what I did and how it's worked here in Tennessee. Uh, I want to finish up a little bit here with a study. The last, uh, the last uh, part of this is the flavor fears. Uh, and again, the diastole studies is breaking out, and it's quoted inside here as well, too, along with other studies on, on senaldehyde and so forth and so forth. Um, listen, folks, I'm not going to lie to you. The only unknown in vaping is flavors. That's yeah. the only unknown. You can vape PG, VG, and nicotine till it floats out of your eardrums. <laughs> I guarantee you, well, I can't guarantee you, I'm not a doctor, but 99.9% you'll be okay. Yep. But right. flavors are the unknown. Once again, I believe that it's the industry's responsibility to test the flavorings that are being used for inhalation. It is the industry's. Don't give me this bullshit that, oh, it didn't bother us when we smoked. Oh, there's the acetylene cigarettes. Oh, smoking is, you know, whatever vaping is, it's still better than smoking. Yes, you're right. But it's still our responsibility to prove that this is a less harmful alternative. We're si- go ahead, go ahead, Em. Yeah, the only way we're going to prove that is if these companies start testing their liquids. I was bitching about it when the diacetyl story first came out when I did the show with Kevin. 
And I'm not too overly concerned about it. I smoked for 22 years, and I still didn't kill me, and I didn't get popcorn lungs, so I'm not too worried about it. But there's no reason why these company why these companies aren't sending off their e-liquids to independent labs labs and having them tested, right. and saying, "Oh, okay, this one's got higher level higher levels of diacetyl. Let's pull this one from, right. you know, the shelves, or let's change the change the ingredients, the recipe to use something that's got you know less diacetyl in it." I don't. I mean, I I I find it really hard to eliminate everything from e-liquid. Uh, this formation, there's, you know, I mean, it, you know, over time you might have something that's forming within the liquid between the compounds, but that has to be tested. You have to be, ab- be able to accurately describe your product, when you produce it, what it does six months from now on the shelf, and what the shelf life is. How many companies can you call up tomorrow and say, have you done any testing on the shelf life of your product? I can name two. I can't name one. Not here. Two. Anyways. Right? Two companies that I know have done that in, in, in the States. So... If if you're not if you're not asking those questions to the vendors, the vendors are never going to take the responsibility to do them. Nope, they won't. What other product do we inhale that doesn't have this testing, or we eat for crying out loud, or even nutritional supply? If you want to take it that route, they got blasted for the same thing. They were putting out the nutritional su- supplements on the shelf, right? And then six months later, they were pulling it, and all the ingredients that these nutritional supplements had had formed something else that was bad, or you know they didn't even know it was there. I actually just read about that um, a couple of weeks ago. I think Target had to recall – Target or Walmart had to recall right. a bunch of herbal supplements because it didn't even have what it was supposed to be in right. it. Right. Ridiculous. Right. So, I mean, I, I can't I can't take anybody serious in this industry that says, well, I don't care. This is still better than smoking, especially people that actually manufacture e-liquid. Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? Yeah. You know, people are inhaling the stuff that you are mixing and you don't care. It's still better than – that is your response? No wonder they want to kill this industry. What are we going to show the responsibility? It is the responsibility of the illegal manufacturers to provide the questions to the vapors, and of course to the vapors that do care, because there are some vapors that just don't care. They just have this attitude that it's better than smoking. Fine by me. If that's your attitude, more power to you. You're an adult. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But for those that do care and have to ask those questions, tell me how many of you out there that are vaping have actually picked up a phone, well... In many cases, you can't pick up the phone because there's not even a phone or address listed on these bottles. But have you sent an email to the to the vendor and saying, have you tested your product? Do you have a shelf life? Do you know the ingredients? All this is going to be required, by the way. I mean, I don't have to, to go back to the FDA regulations and tell you that this is going to be required. I mean, it's yeah. part of the dimming regs. It was something. I had a, I had a company earlier last year um, email me to ask me to, you know, if I wanted to review some of their e-liquids. And, you know, I just Googled up their address to see where it was. And it was an apartment in London, you know, a little shitty looking apartment block. And I asked them some simple questions. Where do you mix your e-liquid? You know, I didn't want to know the recipe. I wanted to know the ingredients and where they got them from. You know, if it was like Perfumer's Apprentice or if it was Capella or whatever. And they never emailed me back. Right. And I've never seen or heard anything about it. Good luck. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the attitude that a lot of vendors have, right? Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people think that I'm trying to bash companies when I say stuff like this. I'm not trying to bash anybody. I'm trying to make the consumer aware that you have demands. As a consumer, you're giving your money for a product. You should have questions about it. Yeah. Bring awareness. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to bash anybody. You don't. I don't have to bash them. They bash themselves (laughs) by by their actions and what they're doing. If you go out there and you manipulate and you fraud your customers, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass sooner or later. P- 
period. You cannot lie to the consumer and say, I've tested this e-liquid and it has not been tested and you put it out there in the market. It can't. And then somebody, I, I hear other people saying, well, you know, it's DIY. Well, you know, guess what? DIY means do it yourself. You're doing it for yourself. I don't care what you do with DIY because you're the one that's vaping it. But once you start selling your DIY, then I'm going to step in. I'm going to say, hold on a second. You know, remember that DIY, that why part? That why part was for yourself. Yeah. Just because your buddy tested your e-liquid and said, oh, this is delicious and creamy. <laughs> this is delicious and creamy. We should sell it. We just thought an e-liquid company. Great. You know, I had a, a couple of great guys from New York um, when I was up there at Christmas time with my family, young kids, you know, in, in their late 20s. Uh, the guy has a knack for doing DIY. And he says, you know, I'm thinking about starting a juice line. You know what I advise him? The guy did it. I said, how many juices do you have? He says, i got about four or five now that, are, that I've been working on. They're really good. All my friends are vaping. And t- I said, take them. Here's a lab. Send them first and get them tested. See what the results come back. Did you do it? And he did it. Good. I, he, you know, and this is a guy that works, you know, a nine-to-five job. Uh, he had, you know, dish almost $800, I think, was is what he paid. Two of his e-liquids came back with diacetyl. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, what he did is he went back to the drawing board. He tried to find other flavors. I've been helping him through this. I haven't, for no fee at all, just because I think that this is the way that you start a business. Before he invests and put a product on there in the market, he has to make sure that the product is, is safe. Yep. Do your testing, do your research, get your supplies, and if you want to do it, do it right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not that much money. It's not. It's 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 the right thing to do for crying out loud. It's an ethics thing, if you want to put it that way. Plus, it's a, it's a good investment. If you got your stuff t- tested, you can put it out there on your website. We've been tested. These are our ingredients. And it's going to bolster people's trust in your product. In most cases, it will, I think. I think that there's still vapors that, you know, I've seen it in, 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 in various, I think, I've seen it in various states. I think some states are more prone to it or not here in the state, you know, in the United States. You know, you go into some areas and vapors are like, well, I've never heard of diacetyl. It's not bad or whatever. Cigarettes have it. That's the response. Nothing that I can say will change their mind. And in other markets, you see that the shoppers are a little bit more aware. They're starting to ask. They're looking for certificates. They're trying to find... Um, you know what's you know the, the the least harmful in their opinion product that's on the market. Once again, I believe that diacetyl will not be allowed in e liquid when when the FDA regulates. I think it's going to be one of the bad substances, and yeah. that's just based on the. I mean, I've been to every TMA science collaboration conference the last two years, including the ESIG research conferences that have happened. From the information that I have, I just don't think it's going to be required now. For some companies out there, they're only going to do this for a couple of years. They don't care. They're like, well, whenever the FDA regulations come, I can't make any liquid. That's fine. But I think from an ethics standpoint, you have to disclose if it has it on there. And let the adult consumer make that educated guess. Say, okay, well, I know this has diacetyl in it, but I'm going to continue to vape it. Yeah. Because if you don't tell them and it has diacetyl and they get sick. It's coming back on your ass. It's going to come back on your ass. Right. So yep. that is that is that is exactly how I approach the subject. It's nothing about bashing companies. It's about an ethics thing and about a fraud thing. We have to educate the consumer. The more educated the community is, the better it is for everybody, including the vapors, the distributors, and the manufacturers themselves. That's all I have to say. Uh, all right. So um, I think I've covered everything that has to do with the studies, including the flavor fears. Inside this article, they, they even mentioned senaldehyde. Which I believe, Snell to hide in the levels that we use it in e-liquid are low. I don't vapor personally. 
<laughs> but you know, I, I've I've been saying this since 2009. Daisido and cinnamon, I just don't vape them. That's just my personal choice. Um, but senaldehyde, I think, based on the study that's quoted here, this was the study where they actually tested the flavoring and not the finished product. So we don't take you know cinnamon flavoring and vape it straight. That would oh. that would be silly. But we take senaldehyde uh, and we do mix it with other ingredients to come up. And, and cinnamon is a very powerful flavoring, so it's not used that much in e-liquid as far as uh, you know how much you know the the the, the, the amount that you're going to get. But it is quoted in this article as well. So keep that in mind that those two things have been brought up, and uh, it's something that we're going to have to deal with with the um, you know. Um, the next couple of years. The burning question is whether vaping will be proven to be any less harmful than smoking. That's how the article ends. So my question to you is, um, why don't we prove? Why don't we continue to prove, continue to do studies to prove that vaping is less harmful than smoking? That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, I think we need to. I definitely think we need to. I've said it before and I've said it a thousand times. The more information we have to, to support what we're telling people, it's just going to make it's all for the better. I'm with you. I'm I'm on the science train. I got off it for a little bit. I got off the science train for a little bit, but now I'm back on it. <laughs> I'm, back, I'm back on the science train. Uh, only because I've seen all these studies that they're, they're being done and, uh, and, and what's coming out. You know, yeah. I mean, if the FDA is spending this much money now, uh, can you imagine what the next studies are going to be? Yeah. You know, we had the formaldehyde. We had the mice. Let's not forget about the mice, the poor mice that had to die uh, in, in, in the name of science. But, you know, overall, I think that we have the ability to do it if people are confident in their product, if they're if they're confident about what they're trying to say, they're trying to back it up. Let's get China on board. Let's get the e-local manufacturers on board. I think those are the two groups. I don't even put this on the vendors, the smaller vendors, you know, the ones that have the vape shops and they're getting the product. It's not their responsibility. They're getting a sealed bottle from the manufacturer. It should be the responsibility of the manufacturer that they bought it from yep. to do that. It's not the small vendor that has a small vape shop in you know A, B, C, D town across the United States. It's the responsibility of the vendor to ask the manufacturer, "Hey, do you have you done testing on you before I put it in my shop? I want to make sure you know." And so you have the right to ask the questions, but it's not their responsibility. I can't put that kind of pressure on these smaller manufacturers and the, I mean the smaller vendors that are out there but the manufacturers I think the big e-liquid manufacturers in the United States the Chinese manufacturers I think those are the two groups that need to come together and fund further studies the juice the fuel and then the raw materials of the tanks and the devices that were used those are the two pieces that come together to make vaping great and that's where we need to focus our efforts completely agree with you my mouth dried up I drink a little water it's that stiff draw that I'm getting on the. Uh... All right, I got one more item on the agenda that I want to bring everybody. We talked about uh, states um, in, in the last couple of episodes. I put a link inside the description, tnsmokefree.org. You can get more information for those that are listening on the replay. Um, what can you do, right? What can we do in states and, and how does it affect us? This past Sunday, I arranged, uh, along with the Tennessee Smoke Free Association, a conference. Um, uh, it was held in Nashville. We chose Nashville because it's kind of in the center of the state. It gives uh, you know just a couple hour drives from all corners for the vendors to show up. The TSFA has a membership of about 42, 43 vendors right now in the state, uh, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. There's over, I think, almost 300 shops in Tennessee now. So you know we're far off from our goal, but I think versus other states, um, I think we've done a very good job. 
So what we did at uh, at Tennessee this past Sunday is the, the biggest reason why I arranged this conference is to talk about the proposed bill that came here to Tennessee, but also for the lobbyists that we have hired to represent the Tennessee Smoke Free Association to come out there, meet with the vendors, because the vendors ultimately are the ones who paid for this guy to represent the industry in Tennessee, and, and explain to them the bill. But most importantly, what I had him do at the beginning was explain how law is made in the United States, which I found really enlightening. Uh, I'm not an attorney. You know, I don't I don't know the specifics of it. And, and I think that a lot of the vendors, uh, new business people don't really understand it. So I had him spend about 15, 20 minutes of his presentation early to explain to the vendors how a bill is made into law and all the procedures, the House, the Senate, how it has to go through, the support, the lobbying. Uh, and lobbying kept, kept coming up and up and up and up a lot during this discussion. Um, I also updated uh, the, the the vendors of what we've done this year, the the wins that we've had, the media representation that we do. Um, I also updated them on the upcoming study, the the one that the Chinese are paying for. <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, actually contract that study through the Tennessee Smoke Free Association since we are a nonprofit organization, um, and basically we're using the Chinese money. I even I even reached out to them and I said, hey, if you just want to toss fifty a hundred dollars to the study. Um, it would be great, you know. I'm not. I wasn't really asking them for money, M. But I think what I was trying to do is put the vendors on board with the Chinese manufacturing money. So it doesn't look as like just that. You know, it's not just the Chinese that are doing the study. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we kind of manipulate the system a little bit. But if I can get, you know, and, and what we did, we had a lot of vendors that committed. You know, fifty, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, um, just to put their name on the study that they donated to this. So it kind of looks like it's the Chinese manufacturers and these guys that are funding the study through the TSFA. But the, the 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 big the big chunk of change is coming from China, uh, so anyway, pretty proud of that fact. Everybody showed up. Um, I think we had a really good representation from a lot of stops across the state. And before the the lobbyist even spoke, uh, and I did my presentation, I kind of looked at the crowd and I thought to myself, "Am I mean?" I looked into this room. There's about sixty people, and I saw competitors. I saw people that didn't talk to each other before. Um, right. I saw manufacturers that hate each other, you know, for competition reasons, for ego reasons, for dickery. I don't know what the hell. I mean, they just didn't get along. And, and I look down into the crowd and I see them sitting next to each other uh, in a room. You know, whatever they had, they kind of put everything to the side and they said, OK, now it's time to focus on the ultimate goal. And what is the ultimate goal for Tennessee? To save the vapor industry, to save the open vapor. Really, really proud of that that moment. And I think all the representatives, the volunteers that I have across the state, um, were very proud of that. So the lobbyist comes on, talks about how a bill is being made, how, you know, um, the, 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 the entire process of a bill. And we came to the bill, HB 309, which has been proposed here in Tennessee. Now, M, you have seen the bills in, in Indiana. You have seen the bills in Kentucky. Kentucky is really bad, by the way. Yeah. Kentucky Falls are along the Indiana lines. Again, a state that doesn't have any kind of representation, any kind of association. Uh, and all of this is going to lead up to where, where I'm getting at. So we asked the lobbyist the biggest question, I think the most important question, why? Why would RJR put a bill that's so benign with such tame language into the state of Tennessee? Uh, it's not like them. You know, they come out, when RJR comes out, they come out swinging. And just look at the bills everywhere that's being proposed, including California, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Florida. Uh, the bills have been really, really bad. Um, Indiana is going down like Nino Brown. Indiana, have you seen a bill move quicker than what's happening in Indiana? No. It's, this is unreal. I mean, within two weeks, they had passed two committee hearings. Uh, it's not looking good for them at all. 
at all. Um, But um, so we asked, and even the lobbyist says, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure why they'd be proposing. I mean, the bill almost favors the vapor industry as well, too. But it it defines the vapor product aside from the tobacco product and some of the some of the language. It amends some of the existing bills where the definition of smoking uh, they actually define the vapor product that is not combustible. It emits vapor. Doesn't emit vapor. I mean, some of the some of the language is even good. Yeah. You know, and I know, M, that there is no good when RJR proposes a bill. So no. basically, what this is, this is what's called a shell bill. They're just kind of tossing it there to Tennessee. They're not focusing any time, money, or effort because they know they're going to face an opposition. Here is the power of lobbying, M. Since we have contracted. Dick Lodge, that is the name, <laughs> I can't make this shit up, that is the name of our lobbyist, our, lo- our lobbyist name is Dick Lodge. Does he like stiff vaping? <laughs> I don't know, but when I introduced him, I didn't even think about this, but I, I turned to the crowd and I said, now I want to introduce you to Dick, and uh, everybody kind of laughed, and then I kind of put two and two together, but um, Dick Lodge, we hired him a year ago, so he already, it's not what the lobbyist is going to do now. It's what the lobbyist did four months ago when he met with RJR. Because RJR uh, invited him and Erica Bell, which is our other lobbyist, they're a team, uh, to lunch. Uh, Nathan Green, I think, is the name of the uh, RJR lobbyist. They sat down at lunch, and basically what RJR was doing was fishing. They were fishing for information. Like, yeah. oh, we hear you have a group of uh, vapor industry in, uh, in Tennessee, and what are your plans, and what are you thinking about doing? Uh, and Dick, you know, Dick told him, you know, we're not taking a proactive stance. We're not going to take anything onto the table now. We're just kind of monitoring the situation. So RGR was kind of throwing out things to them. Like, oh, maybe we're going to do this. Maybe we're going to do that. Maybe we're going to toss something. And, uh, and our lobbyists, they have to be trained as well because they don't know what vapor products are, even though ours, our Dick, <laughs> our Dick is very aware of vapor products. People in the state capitol use them. Uh, he has a friend that's an attorney that has switched to vaping, so he's he's aware of the of the product, but he's not aware of the industry and how big it is in Tennessee and the impact that it has. So he said, basically, my group opposes everything except an 18 minor ban. That's yeah. the only thing we're going to agree with. So I think RGR knew ahead of time that if we're if we're going to spend money in Tennessee, we're going to get opposed. So let's leave Tennessee. Let's throw a shell bill on there. And let's focus on states like Kentucky, like Indiana, that don't have representation in place. And let's try to put all the bad shit there. And then we're going to come back and revisit Tennessee next year. There's no doubt. All they're doing is they're setting the the, the groundwork to come back next year and take whatever bill they have here and expand on it and try to tax it and try to monopolize the, the industry. Right. That is the power of lobbying, M. That is the power of lobbying. It's not the fact that you're going to hire him to defend you. It's that you have him there sitting in the Capitol and representing. That's where their power is, the connection that they have with the senators and the representatives that they talk to on a daily basis. The other lobbyists that are proposing bills, they know all this. They know exactly what's happening. So um, to make a long story short, today I talked to Brian from Enjoy, and he said that he spoke to the Altria lobbyist as well to ask him what they feel. How do they feel about this bill? Even Altria is kind of surprised what RJR did in Tennessee. Really? Yeah. I mean, even they're saying, you know, this doesn't make any sense. It's probably just a shell bill. They're just kind of tossing something out there. And now I'm worried because at first, even though it's benign, even though the language is really, really tame, I want to oppose it. That's my initial That's my initial reaction now because they have something 
in mind. We don't know yet what the lobbyist is is looking into it. He's pulling all the amendments, trying to see exactly where they're trying to get, comparing it with other states. If they change the language here, how is it going to affect us if they try to do something like they did in California or in Indiana or in the other states? Uh, but until we find this out, I'm worried. But this is how smart RJR is. Included in the bill, which is only five pages, not even five pages long, it's four pages long. Four pages. This is a bill four pages long that they dropped in the state. That's it. Included in that bill, they added two things. A ban on 18, which I think we all agree with, right? Mm-hmm. And childproof caps for for e-liquid. Not any childproof caps, but childproof caps that are approved under the federal guidelines. Okay. So I'm concerned because there's probably no e-liquid manufacturer here that uses a childproof cap that's manufactured in the United States. They all use China childproof caps. Yeah, that's pretty much all we use over here, too. Right. So here is... Here is the my biggest concern. So if you if you if we agree that we need childproof caps, let's say I agree, which I don't, but whatever. Let's say I agree that we're going to need childproof caps in there. If they go under the federal standard, then all the bottles that these manufacturers sell, and a lot of shops in Tennessee don't even have childproof caps, right. but even the ones that do, they probably will not fit that guideline. Probably not, especially if the guidelines are really really different somebody asked me why I don't agree with childproof caps no I'm sorry I, sh- I should I should re- rephrase that I don't agree with product regulation on a state level Tess because we're pending federal regulation okay does that make sense it's not that I don't agree, agree with childproof caps I agree with childproof caps if the federal regulation requires it to do so I don't agree with states setting regulation on the product that's what i don't agree because every state can set okay well we want childproof caps in tennessee we want blue bottles in in indiana we want green bottles in california we want tamper proof in in uh, in utah so if every state starts creating their own regulation on the product it disrupts the chain and i think honestly em to get to my point i think that's what rjr is trying to do i think rjr is trying to disrupt the chain of of product that's being moved between state to state just think about it if they pass this in Indiana where well, you can't sell e-liquid there unless you go through a wholesale distributor, the vape shops there cease. They go out of business. The people that are selling e-liquid into the state, the various suppliers from across the United States, they can't sell their products in there. So here you go. Here's a way of banning the product without actually banning. Oh, yeah, we love vaping, but you're going to have to adhere to these standards and to these regulations into the state. So all the vape shops and everybody that supplies product into that state pretty much is done. Yep. So I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to disrupt the chain between the states to move the stuff. Now, I don't agree with a state regulating the actual product itself. That should come from a federal. And we're pending federal regulation. Why would you want to create any kind of regulation on a state level when the FDA can come back and come with rules that can actually over um, succeed the ones that the states are going to put out there? Because let's say, go ahead. It seems like just a big waste of time and money, to be honest when they should be waiting for the federal regulations to come out and the right. basic state regulations off the federal. Right. But they're not because they're not going to wait for the feds. They're going to go state by state and try to end this industry before the feds even drop the regulations. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. That's so true. my warning to you out there, I got a message from a vendor in Kentucky, uh, a lady. I'm not going to say her name. I met her last year. Uh, M. I, mm. I swear to God, 
I, last year I told her. She was really passionate when she came to me. It was when I was forming the Tennessee Smoker Association. She says, what are you doing? I said, this is what I'm doing in Tennessee. I, I highly suggest that you're so passionate. You have a big financial interest in your state. Get out there in Kentucky and get your fellow vendors together and form an association and have some representation. I swear to God, Em. Yeah. I just got a message from her two days ago. I haven't heard from her since, right? Yeah. Since. Two days ago, she says, you know, I talked to you last year in uh, at VCC and we talked about this and, you know, now we're getting hit with a bill. And, you know, I want, I, I'm biting my nails because I want to turn around and say, uh, I fucking told you. I fucking told you a year ago. Do you want me to dominate? I told you. What do you want me to do now? She's like, well, I want to call you and, you know, and see what you did in Tennessee. Maybe you can help me out. And, and you know, I never say no to anybody when it comes to stuff like that. And I said, okay, hon. I said, you know, I told you last year. Now you're going to play catch up. Because I think once a bill drops, even if you hire a lobbyist, yeah, it will help you. But I don't think you're going to have the same effect as if you had a lobbyist representing you before the bill come. Right. But anyway, she calls me. I said, I, no, she, she messaged me on Facebook. I said, she said, you know, she had problems with her, whatever, I, you know, whatever it was. I don't care. All right. I said, okay, you want to do something? I'll tell you exactly what I did here in Tennessee. Right. She messaged me. She says, you know, do you have a template? Like there is no, you know, yeah, I have a template for the website and, and you know, the, the nonprofit, you know, you can have all that. I don't care. We shared it with Georgia. Georgia did it. We shared it with Aaron in Utah. Utah did it. If you want to do that, that's fine. Give me a call tomorrow. Anytime that you want, I'll be at the office all day, and let's discuss this. Crickets, Em. Crickets. No. Didn't even fucking call. <sighs> so how do you expect in Kentucky or any other state, unless people take the proactive stance and stand up and do something, how do you expect to defeat these bills? I'm just, I get so fed up with, it's the same thing over here. Everybody wants somebody else to do the hard stuff for them. Because they don't want to take on the responsibility. And it's just, it's really frustrating. It's really annoying. I'm actually, I'm pissed that she didn't call you. I'm pretty upset about it, too. And she's listening right now. You're an idiot. Sorry. (laughs) She's probably going to send me a nasty message tomorrow if she's listening. But uh, I had another phone call from from Connecticut. Uh, this is a guy that uh, that has a business in Tennessee, and he wants to open up uh, a business with his brother-in-law in Connecticut until the bill came. Connecticut bill is pretty bad as well, too. Connecticut is pretty shitty. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, you know, can you help inform an association there before I go ahead and invest my money in Connecticut? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I almost dropped from my chair. That was such a funny conversation. And I said, listen, I can't do anything from here. I mean, I can guide you and tell you the basics, but you're going to have to find people uh, even vendors that want to protect their industry stand up and, and form an association. You don't have to have somebody like me. You know, get yeah. 20, 30 vendors together and form a you know a nonprofit. Somebody that's going to represent the, the the vendor shops in the in the state and get moving with this. Now, granted, I'll be honest with you. Here in Tennessee, I've been very successful because I have a great group of volunteers. Right. Okay. I mean, I have five, six people on the TSFA team, all volunteers, that are working really hard for this. I believe that in every state you're going to find at least 10 passionate vapors that can do this. There has to be 10 passionate vapors in every state. Has to be. I mean, there's no, I mean, even, even more. But you'll find 10 people that are willing to help you. Find somebody to organize it, get those 10 passionate vapors, and move on. Start doing something. That's the only way you're going to win. If you think you're going to go to the Capitol and you're going to cry that this is going to put me out of business, that vaping saved my life, uh, or any other excuse that you want to use... You're wrong. I don't care. Government affairs is what wins the race. 
get out there and get active and hire a lobbyist to represent it. That's it. Period. No other way about it. There's no other. Th- there's nothing else that you can do to save vaping, except hire a lobbyist. That's what I had for the. T- I was very proud of the TCFA. It turned out really, really nice. It was a nice event. It was at the, at the Hilton Gardens. They allowed us to vape. Surprised the fire alarm didn't go off because they're early. It was just clouded up. It was. Uh, uh, it was a mess. But uh, everybody came together and we made some decisions. And everybody's aware uh, that we're all walking on the same page. You know, we're we're. We're there for the vapor product in the vape shops to stay around in Tennessee. That is our goal. Put all your differences aside and move for that common goal. Yeah. I do think that's that plays a big part in a lot of these um, states not getting organized oh, yeah, as one no company. Doubt. It's not you, you yeah. got to put the competition on the back burner and, and get this stuff taken care of because you guys are going through an absolute nightmare over there with all this shit that's coming out. There will be no competition the way they're going because no. everybody's going to be out of business. And I don't believe that all the shops have that short-term goal. I I truly don't believe that. I think there's a lot of shops that want to, not only shops, but manufacturers and and vendors and distributors, they want to um, sustain. They want to remain in business. The hardest part is getting them together. And even here in Tennessee, you know, the biggest problem that I had was reaching out to these vendors to tell them what I'm doing because I don't have a budget. I don't have a paid person on staff to go out there and reach to each one individually. We're doing everything through a Facebook group or a website. Uh, even the website all completely volunteer the people that are maintaining it now. Um, we pay for the server, obviously. That's about it. In our budget last year, we brought in $43,000, I think, was our budget. We still owed 15000 from vendors, which I told them, you better fucking pay up because <laughs> we need it. The lobbyist alone for the year was forty grand. M. Oh my God! So you know these vendors have to understand that this is you know, this is how we pay them through this association. Well, we don't pay them through the association. We pay Vista, and Vista is the one that hires them. Right. But but you have to pay to play. Now forty thousand is not a lot. We have we have forty members, let's say, on board right now. That's a thousand dollars a year. That's not a lot of money for a lobby representation in the capital. Imagine if we had two hundred shops. Yeah. The the fees would be even smaller. So I got a question in the chat. Who is Vista? Vista is uh, the vapor uh, vaping industry strategic truth alliance group out of Florida, and uh, they deal strictly with lobbying. So if you want lobby in your state, you call Vista and you say, "I need a lobbyist in the state to represent the vapor product." They have capital access on board. It's going to come into the state and find the right lobbyist that's going to represent you. Our lobbyist dealt with tobacco and FDA in the past, so Dick has lodged it before. So that's why he was uh, he, he was chosen to come on our side. Uh, very receptive, very down to earth, and he listened to all the questions and all the concerns that everybody had. But most importantly, what he said is, you guys pay me, and I'm honored to represent you. I'm here to listen to what you want to be done. I'll do what you pay me to do, and that's how lobbyists should be. Yeah. You know, they work for us, so we have to guide them and tell them this is what we want. Uh, you know, And now I'm thinking, the more that I di- dive into this bill... The more mm-hmm. I'm thinking that we're going to have to oppose. But it's going to look really shitty if we go to the Capitol and say we oppose a child-proof cap law. Or we oppose an 18 um, minor ban. You know, RGR was really, really tricky with this bill because we can't really oppose that. It's going to make us look like we're bad. But what we can say is, yeah, we, we agree with child-proof caps, but the way that you have it, you know, written, it's going to put disadvantage and put all these people out of business in Tennessee and uh, and people are going to go outside Tennessee to spend their money to get their supplies. That's what I'm thinking the route that we should go is like, yes, we agree, but it's written really bad. Let's table it. Let's revisit it next year and try to buy some time, you know. Yeah. 
try to buy some time and get the word right in right right in fact in fact um i i told the va- the vendors there i think i think a lot of the vendors were even the ones that were kind of on the fence about the tsfa uh, I think they were really enlightened. It was a great conference because they saw what we've been doing and they really believe into it now. I told them that if our membership grows next year, we can even go in their proposal law. If their law is bad with a childproof caps, you know, we can yeah. go back and say, if, let's say it's a law. We say, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, um, Representative McDaniel, we want to work with you. You're doing a great job to protect this industry, to protect the youth, to protect the kids of Tennessee. Uh, we're, you're doing a great job to help smokers in Tennessee quit. You know, just stroke them. They like stroking, you know. Um, but here, let us help you write this. Let's let's help you because we are the industry. We know how this product works. Let's be proactive next year instead of being defensive as we are this year. And by the way, my defensive stance this year was strictly financial because we have to pay this guy. If I don't feel comfortable that we can raise the money to pay the guy, I can't tell him, yeah, go out full balls to the wall because that costs more. <laughs> the more aggressive that you are, the more money it costs. Yeah. And and he and he agreed. I mean, he's he brought that up with the vendors as well too. So if the vendors are serious about this next year, maybe we can be even even more. Um, we have a good chance in Tennessee to set the tone and also tell RJR, listen, we're here, we're monitoring, we're not going to let you get away with shit, you know. And if they see that in a lot of states, they're going to have to change the strategy. I'm not saying they're going to back off, but they're going to have to. You're not going to see shit like you've seen in Indiana. Indiana is horrible. Indiana's horrible a nightmare. How much does it cost for about? It depends on your state. I can tell you what it costs here in Tennessee. It costs forty thousand. It costs forty thousand for the year to have a lobby representation. Uh, that is for a defensive stance, and you basically hire them, you retain them for the entire year. They have meetings through the year, but the legislative session is about, you know, starts um, January. I think he said, um, Eric starts starts January, ends around mid-April, so about three and a half months. That's when the the action happens, but. Um, yeah, I mean, in other states, it could be more expensive. New York, California, I'm sure lobbying is is much more expensive than it is in, in, in Tennessee, I'm sure. Uh, and, uh, but it is for RGR as well, too. RGR only has one lobbyist in Tennessee. In other states, they have five. Mm. Um, RGR this year, by the way, this was an interesting fact that I learned, is spending $250 million on lobbying. Oh, my God. That is their budget. And here we are crying over $40,000. Yeah, their budget is two hundred and fifty million dollars on lobbying. Think about that next time you go to the Capitol. Anyway, anything else that you want to add, him? Um, not really. There's really not that much else going on over here on this side of the pond. I know you've been tired today. You've been up for a very long time. I appreciate you coming on and joining <laughs> me here, listening to me bitch and whine every week. No, I enjoy it. Uh, I want to let everybody know that there will be no smoke-free radio next week. I'll be in between tra- travels, but this weekend I will be in Seattle at the Sky Vapor Two, the second location. Matt Bradley's opening. Be a lot of fun. Of course, my buddy Pete Busardo will be there. Cutwood, the Craven Vapor guys and gals. Um, Austin Hopper's coming in. I think it's gonna be a great event. So if you're in the Seattle area, come by and see me at the Sky Vapor Two. The following weekend, I will be in Tampa attending the VCC, one of the best uh, events in the country, in my opinion. So if you're in Tampa, come down there and see me the following weekend. So Smoke Free Radio will be back in two weeks. Em, have a wonderful evening. Yeah, you too. I appreciate Peace. it. Bye. Uh, for you guys out there, you, of course, you can catch the replays, replays for all the shows here on VP Live on VaporsPlace.com slash VP Live or SoundCloud.com slash vp live and of course itunes as always thank you for joining me i hope you enjoyed the show 
uh, keep up the good fight. Uh, unless we do try, unless we do attempt to defeat this, uh, we're never going to get anything done. Have a wonderful evening.